Well, good morning. All right, before we dive in, I got a, I got a request for all of you. At, at all of our campuses here in Danville, in Fort Madison, in Burlington, across all campuses, we lift up our summer trips in prayer. But now I want to ask all of you, really implore all of you to really commit to do that this whole summer. We got some 60 kids involved, 12 leaders. It's just going to be a great opportunity to, to serve in those contexts. But really, my hope is that you would pray for the kids on those trips, that you would pray for them to just fall in love with the Lord, to fall in love with his word, fall in love with serving Jesus. And honestly, I would ask that you would pray that the Lord would work in a few of their hearts, that he might raise them up, give them a passion to see God's name known throughout all the nations, that some of those students on this, these trips this summer might be part of our three by 30 and go to the nations, go to every tongue, tribe, and nation to declare God's glory. Can you do that this summer with me? Wow. Come on. Can you do that this summer? Burlington and Fort Madison are screaming right now, guys. Come on. I did want to start by just highlighting, we had an awesome launch party on Friday. We had food, fellowship, fun, some great worship of the Lord through song, and the Lord even blessed us with some beautiful blue skies and really perfect weather after a week, really a month of forecasts of rain. And so sometimes you just got to appreciate the little things and praise God because he is so good to us. It was a great night. Today we're going to continue our series, No King But Jesus, in First and Second Samuel. Let me remind you where we're at. We're in the heart of the conflict between David, the future king, and King Saul. Two weeks ago, you heard about David and Goliath right after David had been anointed to be the next king of God's people. And he becomes an instant celebrity. His Instagram followers skyrocketed. But right away, Saul isn't having it, and he tries to kill David. So David has to flee for his life in fear. And last week, we learned from David that we are to bring our fear to the Lord and put our trust in him. If you miss that or don't remember, don't worry, I won't tell Chris he's not here this morning. It's okay. But he did encourage each and every one of us to memorize Psalm 56, verse 3. You remember that? Great. This is going to go awesome. Let's see if any of you got it. Say it with me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. All right, see if you can say it with me so that you're not just repeating me, all right? When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Let's commit that to memory. Keep trying. It's a great reminder that we can trust in God. Today we'll be in 1 Samuel 24 and 26. They're two parallel, very similar stories where Saul is still chasing David. But by God's divine providence, the tables are turned, they're flipped, and David actually gets the upper hand, an opportunity to make his life easier. An opportunity to take down Saul, to end the tremendous pain and suffering Saul's been causing him. David really has an opportunity to change everything. Go ahead, get your Bibles out. First Samuel 24 is where we're going to start. It's on page 191 of the provided Bibles. And we'll look at the opportunity David has to make his life easier. 
to stop his tormentor, end his anguish and become king. It's really quite an opportunity. But what will David do? Is he going to listen to and follow the advice of men, of cultural expectations, of cultural influence, or will he take a different path? Is David going to follow popular cultural mantras like carpe diem, seize the day, or take the bull by the horns? Or as the famous lyricist and poet says, look, if you had one shot or one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted in one moment... Would you capture it or just let it slip? Not ringing any bells for a few of you. Let me, let me keep going. You better lose yourself in the music, the moment. You better never let it go, go. You only got one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. Or maybe a bit more recent example, if that's a little old for you. I'm not throwing away my shot. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, all true for David, and I'm not throwing away my shot. I'll let you determine this morning the better lyricist between Eminem and Lin-Manuel Miranda, but the message is the same. The mantras are consistent, albeit one maybe slightly more kid-appropriate. But what will David do? Let's dive in to 1 Samuel 24 and hear this amazing story. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. That is what it says, and it is what you think. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe, and afterward David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David pursued his men, persuaded his men with these words, and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father... See the corner of your robe in my hand, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? 
After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? David is acknowledging here that he's small. His men are small. He's no threat to the king. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you. And see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hands. Swear to me therefore by the Lord that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Well, clearly, David does not take his shot. In many ways, he throws it away. I'm sorry, Hamilton. Now, this could be viewed as a mistake, maybe even cowardice, but we'll see that it was really an amazing act of faithful obedience. It's so important that we understand this and don't miss it that we get an almost identical story two chapters later. You see, in chapter 26, David's still running. He's still hiding, but now in a new place. Saul finds out again and goes after him again. I guess with, with, with guess, guess what? 3,000 men. But this time, instead of Saul going into a cave to relieve himself, David acts. You see, it appeared as if Saul's coming after him. So David sends out some spies to confirm. Perhaps David is hoping that maybe Saul's repentance in chapter 24 was genuine, but alas, it's not. So then David goes to look for himself, and he finds Saul and all 3,000 men sleeping. Saul's in the middle of their camp with his spear in the ground next to his head. David sneaks into the camp with one of his men, Abisha. And since David didn't do it last time, I think Abisha gets clever, and he asks hey, can I slay King Saul? But again, David says, no. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. So instead, David takes Saul's spear, he grabs a jar of water, and he heads out of the camp. David again gets to a safe distance away, and this time he calls out to Abner, the commander of the army, whose job was really to protect the king, and David actually rebukes him, tells him he deserves to die because he wasn't doing a very good job watching over the Lord's anointed. But Abner doesn't even reply. Instead, King Saul jumps right in and replies, just as he did in chapter 24, is this your voice, my son David? And then Saul and David, they go back and forth. David rebukes Saul and reveals how the Lord again gave him into his hands and he did not harm him. Saul admits his foolishness and mistake. He even pleads for David to return to him, to return to his service. And then the dialogue kind of starts to wind down in verse 23 of chapter 26 where David says this. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, 
So may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord. And may he deliver me out of all tribulation. And then Saul's final recorded words to David, blessed be you, my son, David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. And again, the chapter ends with David going his own way and Saul the other. He doesn't go with him. You see, clearly these passages are similar, in fact, extremely similar, but David has two perfect opportunities to take Saul's life, to stop running, to stop the pain and suffering, to take this throne, to not miss his opportunity, but instead he spares Saul's life twice. He throws away his shot because he will not put out his hand against the Lord's anointed. You see, it is in David's restraint, not his action, in his restraint that we find the main point of our passage. If you remember earlier in 1 Samuel, God doesn't look on the outside. Instead, he looks at the heart. And David, like God, often looks at things from a different perspective, a godly perspective. David has these two opportunities placed in his lap by God's divine providence. Saul didn't happen to just stumble into the exact cave that David and his men were in. Saul's men didn't just happen to all fall asleep. In fact, if you read chapter 26, it tells us that God put them in a deep sleep. You see, the Lord delivered Saul into God's hands. But why? It really almost seems like God wants David to take him out. That's how every single one of David's men saw the situation, but again, David has a different perspective. Because you see, David understood, he realized just like Samuel had at the beginning of this book that Israel's true king, Israel's rightful king, wasn't Saul. And in fact, it's not David, but it's God. You see, David understood that the throne, the kingdom, it was not his to take, it's only God's to give. And so who was he to snatch it up, to grab it at the first opportunity? David was God's anointed shepherd king, but most importantly, he understood that God's promises, God's blessings, they come in God's timing and in God's ways. As one commentator puts it, God's kingdom could only properly come to David as a gift. Let me say that for us this morning. God's promises for you through faith in Christ, only properly come to you as God's gift. We can't grab them. We can't seize them. We can't earn them. We receive God's promises, not by anything we do, but as a gift. A gift from God according to his timing and according to his ways. You know, as Chris talked about in the suffering series Unfortunately, to be honest, if we're honest with ourselves, often the greatest promises, the greatest blessings come through pain and suffering. On the hardest paths, the hardest roads, and at the hardest times. Often, God's timing and God's ways are difficult. And we see that here. David had been running from Saul. 
rightly fearing for his life, living in miserable circumstances. And he has an opportunity to make it all easier, to seize what he could have very rightly thought was his because God had promised it to him. He just had to kill Saul. But instead, he continued the hard path, the difficult road of faithful obedience, waiting on God's timing, waiting on God's ways to receive God's promise, to receive God's gift. It wasn't easy for David, clearly, and it isn't easy for us. And it's not easy, it wasn't easy for our greatest example, Jesus. Let's jump to Jesus here for a moment. This passage reminded me of a time in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Jesus had been in the wilderness for 40 days fasting. He's hungry. He's tired. He's dirty. Out in the wilderness, kind of like David. And this is where Satan tempts him. And for Satan's final temptation, Satan takes Jesus, takes him up to this high mountain, and has him look out at all of the nations, all of the kingdoms, all of their majesty and glory. And all Jesus has to do is bow down and worship Satan. And it'll all be his right then and there. Now Jesus responds, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now, of course, Jesus responds as we might expect, but you see, Jesus was promised that all those kingdoms would be his, that they are his, that there is no king but Jesus. But there in the desert, Jesus has offered an easy out an easy way to receive the promise, a quick opportunity that would have saved him a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. But Jesus, too, had a different perspective. He knew that God's will must be done, that there's not shortcuts, that God's promises can only rightly be received in God's timing and God's ways. You see, Jesus, as he rebuked Satan in that moment was choosing the hard road. Jesus was staring his crucifixion, his sacrifice, his unimaginable suffering and pain, his piercing for our transgressions, his crushing for our iniquities. Like a lamb being led to the slaughter, he was staring all of that in the face. And really, he responds to God more than Satan, your will be done. And then he walked in perfect faithful obedience for his whole life to God, taking the hard road, the path of suffering, of sacrifice. And brothers and sisters, praise God that he did. Or we wouldn't have much to talk about this morning. So to summarize the main point of our text today for us, here it is. Don't try to seize God's promises Instead, trust in his timing and his ways. Don't try to seize God's promises. Instead, trust in his timing and his ways. In other words, don't try to snatch the gift, but receive it in faith. You can't grab it. You can't earn it. You just have to receive it in faith. Trust God. Walk in his ways and patiently wait on his timing 
David was doing just that. He understood that God's kingdom, God's people were God's gift to give, not his to take. So I want to spend the rest of our time considering how David did just that. And that's how we can too. I wanna consider two exhortations, two really encouragements from our text that will be our application of how we can follow David's example and trust in God's timing, trust in God's way. So number one, our first exhortation, our first encouragement, here it is, Christians must condition their conscience. Christians, we must condition our conscience. You see, in order to respond to our opportunities, like David, we must condition our constants to be in line with God's word. Let's first unpack this from our text. Look again, 1 Samuel 24, verse 5. David had just snuck in, snuck up behind Saul in the cave. He'd cut off the corner of his robe. And then it says, afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. Now, I don't know about you, but the first time I read this, I'm like, man, that is a really strong reaction to cutting a little corner of a robe, right? But the king's robe is significant. Earlier in 1 Samuel 15, after Saul's unlawful sacrifice, that's where the wheels start coming off the cart for Saul, he tears Samuel's robe. And then Samuel says, he ties this, that it's the Lord symbolically tearing his kingdom away from Saul. And so we can see in the book of 1 Samuel that the king's robe is tied to the king's rule. So this seemingly innocent gesture can be understood as David claiming his rule, staking his claim to the throne, and it immediately caused David remorse. It says his heart struck him. David was a man after God's own heart. His conscience was conditioned to see things like God. He had God's spirit on him. He knew the word of God. He sought to live it out. You see, if David killed Saul, he would have violated God's word, and even a mere gesture in that direction was enough for his heart to strike him, for his conscience to be pricked. Have you ever had that happen to you? Where maybe you did something that at first you didn't quite think was a big deal, or maybe you let something slip out of your mouth accidentally, and then you immediately get like that, that gut check or it feels like your heart kind of skipped a beat and you instantly realize, whoops, I made a mistake. Quite often early in my life and maybe still a little at times now, you can ask my kids, I could let my immediate thoughts, some people call that your left brain, sneak out of my mouth. One might say I was not slow to speak. Far too often, a cutting, a rude, or even an insensitive response would come out. And the second it did, my heart would strike me. My conscience would let me know, hey, you need to apologize. Hey, you need to ask for forgiveness. And that's a good thing. That's my conscience letting me know that I sinned, that I did something wrong, but it doesn't always happen, which is why I need to condition my conscience. 
Think of your conscience like a muscle. It needs to be trained. It needs to be worked out. And if you don't work out your muscles, you begin to lose them. You know that, right? Similarly, our conscience needs to be constantly trained and conditioned in the right way. Conditioned to the word of God, sanctified, trained to listen to and submit to God's spirit. David's conscience, we see, was conditioned to the word of God. When he took the slightest action against Saul, his heart struck him. Likely Deuteronomy 32 came to mind. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. It's God who judges, not David. Or perhaps Exodus twenty-two twenty-eight: you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. Killing the king is a step beyond cursing your ruler. Or perhaps Exodus twenty thirteen: you shall not murder. You see, despite all that Saul had done to David, his conscience was conditioned to the word of God. And thus he was able to declare boldly, the Lord forbid that I put my hand out against the Lord's anointed. Brothers and sisters, we must condition our conscience like David. We too have the Holy Spirit. We have God's word, actually a lot more than David did. In the New Testament, Romans 12, 1 and 2 really points to conditioning your conscience. Let's look at that together. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, the first 11 chapters of Romans is just full of truth about God. And here at the beginning of chapter 12, we learn that we are given all of that truth so that our minds might be renewed, that our conscience might be conditioned in order to discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is pleasing, what is acceptable, what is perfect. Now, ultimately, we got to remember that this occurs through the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through God's word. But we also need to realize that it does not happen by listening to the world, by being conformed to the world. Let's take Saul. He had some conscience issues, right? He'd stopped listening to God. He seems to have gone a bit crazy. His conscience, instead of being conditioned to the word of God, had been seared by sin overwhelmed by his own pride, his own lust for power, trying to grab everything that he thought was his, that he thought he deserved. His conscience had been trained by hatred and by jealousy. It had been conformed to the ways of the world. And so one thing here for us is that we all need to check the voices in our lives. And by the way, your voice is the loudest and the most consistent in your ear. But if all the voices in your life are from our culture, if they're from the world and brothers and sisters, I fear that instead of being conditioned towards God's heart, instead of being conditioned by the word of God, we are being slowly conformed to the world. 
I know that's a hard word, but can I be a pastor here for a second for us? You see, our culture is screaming all types of things at you, at your kids, at your spouse, at your coworker, at your family, at your friends. Just like we see in this text, Saul was listening to the world. He was listening to his seared conscience. Saul was told that David was his enemy, that David was trying to take his throne. But in reality, David's the whole time sitting here trying to serve him. Even David's men were telling him, there's your enemy. Here's your chance. Take it. But Saul actually wasn't David's enemy. He was his king, the man he served. Even though Saul saw David as his enemy, David did not see Saul as his. David would not put his hand out against him. He had faith that God would judge, that God would handle it, that God would fulfill his promises and his timing and his ways. David's faith was in God, and his nose, so to speak, instead of listening to the world, was in the word meditating on God's truth. While David is in these caves, he's writing poems and poetry, crying out to God, spending time with God and letting God's spirit transform his mind and heart to be like God. Brothers and sisters, we must seek to do likewise. Condition your conscience to the word of God. Let's get in the word daily. Pray that God would use it to renew your mind, to purify your conscience. Meditate on it, journal about it, study it, so that when opportunities come up, you might be able to see them and view them with godly eyes, from a godly perspective. That we might see what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I really hope we all do that. But then we can't stop there. You see, conditioning our conscience is huge. It's important. We have to do it. But it just gets us to a place where we then understand what to do. But we still need to take the next step and do it. And that's our second exhortation from our text this morning. I'm going to use the language from Romans 12 for us, though. Christians must be a living sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, we must be a living sacrifice. So first, we condition our conscience to the word of God. That's going to train us like a muscle, renew our minds. It's going to help us to discern what is good and acceptable and perfect through the Holy Spirit. It's going to tell us what to do, like the WWJD bracelets, right? What would Jesus do? Come on. Some of you are still wearing them, all right? But a conditioned conscience isn't enough. We must take the next step and do it. Live it out. Present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. This is exactly what David does. David, in these passages, let Saul go. And by doing so, he was offering himself as a living sacrifice. He was sacrificing his comfort, his power, his fame, really everything that he had at that time in that moment. And what did he trade it in for? To continue to be hunted down by Saul. But David knew it wasn't about getting the promise right then and there, but instead it was about placing his faith in God. 
It was about his relationship with God. He was offering his whole life, all that he was to God, saying, I trust you. God, you decide my fate. God, you decide between Saul and me. It's all yours to give anyway. I'm not going to take it. I don't want to let your promises get in the way of my relationship with you. Jesus did the same thing his entire life. He could have come down and immediately ruled the world. He could have told Satan, I'm not going to bow down. I'm going to kick you off the hill, and I'm still going to take the kingdoms and nations. Remember, literally everything was created by him and through him and for him. But instead, Jesus came down and offered himself as a living sacrifice. Humbled himself every single day, perfectly following his father's will and then becoming the ultimate sacrifice. Dying in our place so that you and I might have eternal life with him. Jesus knew his father's will, his conscience was perfect, and he lived it out. And are we not grateful that Christ became a living sacrifice for us and laid down his life for you and me? And friends, he calls us to do likewise. We are to offer our lives to God, fully trusting in him and be a living sacrifice. Now, don't mistake sacrifice for a call to passivity, to be bullied by everyone, to just sit back and do nothing. This isn't what being a living sacrifice is all about. If you notice in our text, David doesn't do nothing. He rebukes Saul. David calls Saul out, but he does it from a genuine heart, and I believe a hope that Saul might actually repent. Now, David wisely still doesn't trust Saul. He's not going to give him a hug. But he instead rebukes him gently and points him back to God. Friends, we aren't called to do nothing, but rather we're called to be something. A living sacrifice. It's a call to radical love. Mercy, humility, hospitality, generosity, hope, and forgiveness. Being a living sacrifice is radical. It's countercultural. You see, later in Romans chapter 12, it puts a bit more meat on the bones for us of what being a living sacrifice looks like. Let's pick up in verse 14. Paul says this, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is what David did. And it's what Jesus does. Every single person that Jesus died for sinned against him, rebelled against him, yet... 
he forgives and blessing, blesses. Brothers and sisters, this is our same call. Not a call to passivity or inaction, but a call to radical obedience, radical faith in God, a call to be like Christ, to be a living sacrifice, so that, so, not so that we can get ours, but instead that we might magnify him and in doing so, enjoy him, enjoy the relationship more and more and more. Let's summarize all of this into one single application for us today. You ready? Take a step of faith. Quite simply, take a step of faith. Maybe for someone in here this morning, it's that very first step to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. To say, here I am, here's my life. I wanna trust it in your hands. I pray that you would, and your pastors, elders, your neighbor sitting next to you would just love to talk with you about that, to pray with you about that. And if you wanna know more and you're close, ask somebody. Or maybe for some of you, it's just, getting in the word more consistently. Maybe it's conditioning your conscience to the word of God, taking the next step to consistently read and study and spend time with the Lord, reading and praying that he would grow you to know it so that you might discern what is good and pleasing to him, conditioning that conscience. Or maybe your conscience has been pricking you because of that little sin or maybe a big sin in your life. And you need to take that step and repent. You need to cry out to God like David does over and over and over again for help that God would deliver me. You need to confess that, as it says in James, to a brother and sister in the Lord. Ask for help. Or maybe for someone in here, like we prayed earlier, or I challenged or encouraged earlier, maybe the Holy Spirit's pricking you that you need to go. That you need to take a step of faith and go reach the nations for Christ. Or maybe like David, someone's been persecuting you. They've been hurting you. They've been seeking to harm you. Perhaps you need to rebuke them, but likely you need to reach out to someone for help. And while getting help, though, he trusts that vengeance is the Lord's. Whatever it is for you this morning, whatever the Holy Spirit might be pricking your conscience about, do it. Take a step of faithful obedience, trusting God's timing and God's ways. I want to close by going back to the world's mantras. That friends, our culture wants you to believe it wants you to seize the day. It wants you to live your life to get yours, to not miss your shot, to not miss your opportunity, to be whatever and whoever you want to be, to do whatever makes you happy. Happy, But friends, God's word says, die to yourself. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Paul says, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Friends, let's end with some really, really good news. Because God is so gracious over and over and over again because we don't have just one shot. 
We don't have just one opportunity. We have new opportunities really every single moment, new chances every day because his mercies are new every morning. You see, David didn't miss his opportunity. He made the most of it by taking a step of faith, trusting God's timing, trusting God's ways. And if we do likewise, then as David said, may our lives be precious in his sight.